So I think, you know, this is a timely discussion on Red and the Rainbow. Um, last week, we've seen excellent mobilisations of, of people standing up for trans rights last Sunday to mark Trans Day visibility. Um, you know, I think there was a higher turnout than we've ever seen before at these rallies and um, really solid union involvement in Victoria. We had, had the rally being led by the Victorian Trains Hall Council, um, which, you know, is the, um, the council that represents workers' rights for the state. Um, so I think this indicates that, you know, support, support for trans rights is growing, it's broadening, um, and, and we can see that the power of people wanting to stand up to bigots like, you know, Posey Parker, the anti-trans activist who toured here, um, as well as to the onslaught of transphobia that we see around us um, in, the, in the ruling class media every day, papers like The Australian. Um, and we also have the, the backdrop of anti-trans um, activists globally. For example, in the US where um, state legislators are moving to ban gender-affirming care for minors um, and the far-right Proud Boys have, have seized on this growing climate of, of homophobia and transphobia trying to shut down drag events. So, so in the middle of that, um, I want to use this session to present a sort of grounding of Marxist theory um, to address the urgent task of fighting for trans rights as well as gay rights, cis women's rights, really actually the rights of all of us to be free of the constraints of the gender binary. Um, and I'm gonna present the Marxist argument that while our oppression is felt in different ways, the fight for trans liberation, LGBTIQ um, liberation, women's liberation, these are all essentially the, the same fight, which I think at its heart is a fight against capitalism. Um, so I guess this session is a Marxism 101. So the first question, especially if you're new here, might be what did Marx have to say about trans people? Um, and the answer is, you know, not a lot. Our, our present understanding of, of trans experience was not a well-developed concept in Marx's time. But as Marxists, what we do is we apply what Marx and Engels had to say about the structure of class societies, about capitalism and the role of, of the working class under capitalism. Um, and we apply that to analyse the world that we see around us today. And in doing so, we draw on a rich tradition of Marxist activists who've explored and applied these ideas. So one of these that I'll be drawing on very heavily today is, is this book by Laura Miles, who's a comrade in our sister organisation in the UK. It's called Transgender Resistance, Socialism and the Fight for Liberation. Highly recommend to grab a copy at the bookstall up there. Um, and we've also, I was also looking a lot at the work of another, another SWP comrade, Sue Caldwell, who's really excellent on the question of the, the gender binary um, and the sex binary. Um, so to start, I think, um, just as a starting point, it would be fairly con uncontroversial for most of us in this room to agree that there is common cause between fighting for, um, against the oppression of cis, cis women um, and trans people, LGBTIQ oppression more broadly. Of course, not everyone agrees with us on this, um, and our movements haven't always recognised this common ground. But and I'll come back to how, how we deal with this a bit later in the talk, but as a starting point, it's worth noting that increasingly we're seeing a bit of an emerging common sense that, that people need to unite and fight. Activists today are looking around and they're seeing, you know, the fight for safe, free and accessible abortion, you know, traditionally considered a very women's rights issue, is 100% a fight that includes trans men. Um, and, and of course, we have plenty of common ground when it comes to healthcare, both abortion and um, gender-affirming care being key political battlegrounds uh, right now. Um, 
and there's also, you know, the, the common ground in the fight against sexual violence and, and domestic violence, um, where we see that, you know, Australian data shows that over half of transgender people have been sexually assaulted at some point in their lives. And the way that the police and the judicial system handles issues like sexual assault and domestic violence, you know, too often blaming the victim, not believing the victim. Um, this is a key part of this fight where we, where we see people unite, trans women, cis women, um, you know, non-binary people, trans men, um, uniting in protest. So I think in some ways, with seeing that, it's intuitive, right, that we need to band together and fight back. Um, but as Marxists, we have quite a unique understanding of what makes that such a common, such a common and shared fight. Um, you know, what is it that causes not just far-right political figures like Mark Latham, but actually the mainstream right as well in our political system, ruling class papers like The Australian, what causes them to kick back so hard at shifting ideas about gender? Um, reproductive rights or, or the fight to self-identify your gender. What is it about that that really, that really sets off the ruling class? I think Marxists say the answer lies in the role that the binary, the binary gender roles and the institution of the nuclear family play under capitalism in upholding the system. So a threat to, to those binary gender roles is considered a threat to the system. From the moment we're born, we're ascribed um, gender based on our sex characteristics. Doctors take a you know, pretty quick look at our genitals and people buy things in pink or blue depending, depending on what the outcome of their assessment is. And in fact, you know, intersex babies who don't clearly fit the sex binary from birth are often subjected to operations to try and fit their body to this binary before they can even understand or consent. Um, because it's seen as, you know, society sees it as to, to exist outside of the binary is considered too complicated. You know, we don't want that, so we have to permanently change, change babies' bodies just, just to avoid this, which I think is absurd. Um, throughout our lives, you know, we're, we're told that there's certain immutable characteristics of being a man or a woman that you're biologically determined to fulfill. If you, know, if you don't, there might be something wrong with you. So if you're a woman, you're supposed to have a tendency to be nurturing. You might be the older sister who takes care of the younger siblings. You might be the person at work who buys the birthday card. Um, whereas as a man, you're told that you're supposed to be naturally assertive right from the time that you're in school to when, to when you're in the workplace. And, and if you don't, then maybe there's something a little bit wrong with you. So at every stage of our lives, those, those roles prescribe us certain behaviour and ways of understanding ourselves, a lot of which are frankly nonsense and very, very damaging to our emotional and, and physical well-being. And while some people try to raise kids in alternative ways or decondition themselves from these things, it's, it's hard to get away um, from, from these ideas. It's a very noble goal, but you're running up against a society that's constantly reinforcing, reinforcing those ideas. Um, so Marxists say that ideas like these, they don't come out of thin air. They come from an interaction between us and the conditions of the society that we live in. In pre-class societies, for instance, so say hunter-gatherers, sure, you might have had um, men and women doing different work, um, but the evidence doesn't necessarily suggest that those differences were bound up with oppression. So women might have been the ones carrying the babies, but taking on this role in reproduction wasn't necessarily considered inferior to any other role that there is in that society. Um, socialist Chris Harmon described this, this in this way. He said, missing was the male supremacism, which is too often assumed to be part of human nature. So without wanting to um, essentialise or speak prescriptively about indigenous cultures here on this continent, we, we often hear about um, Aboriginal women's business and men's business talked about in this way, that there might be different, differing roles, but it's not, there's not necessarily the case that one of those roles is subjugated. 
Um, and we know that there's a significant history as well in Indigenous cultures um, right here in Australia and around the world of, of people living outside the gender binary without that necessarily leading to them being persecuted or oppressed. Um, so I think you've got to look at the way that, that class societies emerged to see where that oppression came from. Um, in, in much of the world, as class society did begin to emerge, agriculture developed, more children were needed to work the land, there was increasingly a dominant class with an incentive to control the reproduction of a lower class. And in this way, women's role in reproduction became not just about the needs of a group of people to survive, um, but about the, the desire for a ruling group, a ruling class to um, control um, and gain an advantage um, from, a, from a lower class. So this resulted in the, in the um, subjugation and oppression of, of women and much, much stricter roles emerging and you know, policing of, of gender boundaries. Then with the development of capitalism, we saw huge changes in the material conditions of societies. You know, workers were pushed together into cities that actually started to erode these, these gender boundaries. You know, women and, and children are increasingly working not just in the home, but in factories, in mines. Um, workers are beginning to unite together in the beginnings of the labour movement to push back against the brutality of their working conditions. And in all of this, you can see that people are pushing up against those strict gender boundaries and they, they can start to break down. You know, women not so much occupying the private sphere of the home, but in the workplaces and the boundaries are shifting. So the ruling class has their eyes on this because women's role in the home is economically very important to them. Um, women take care of all the reproductive labour, producing the next generation of workers, um, as well as the domestic labour, caring and, and rearing the next generation of workers. Um, and so the ruling class says, hang on, this isn't good, all this gender mixing. Um, and, it, and it imposes um, strict moral ideology, ideas that are actually already you know, quite popular among the wealthy sections of society about the role of women, um, about who you shouldn't, shouldn't have sex with, um, marriage, sexuality, ruling class um, pushes those ideas onto workers. So this is how the institution of the family becomes a tool that's used to keep the working class under control using strict binary gender roles. Um, and I think it's still the case today, you know, even with women being workers, they, we experience the double burden. So the unpaid labour in the home on, on top of um, having to do, do your job. Um, and capitalism uses those ideas to get an awful lot of free labour out of us, actually, you know, telling us that, oh, it's natural that you're more caring, so you can do all this, do all this work in the home, um, because you're born this way, rather than actually the state funding childcare, education, and, and caring for people who need it. So, um, this, I think this is why the gender binary is so pervasive in our society, because there's a ruling class with a vested interest in keeping it in place. Laura Miles, in this book, writes that um, despite many more people now living in single-parent families or alone, this doesn't alter the basic fact that the nuclear family and the ideology promoting it remain the ideal in modern capitalist societies. Transphobia is part of the oppressive ideological justifications served to maintain heterosexual social order, family values and norms of appropriate sexual and gender expressive behaviour. So in other words, the institution of the family serves to constrain and, and limit the people who, who can and do try and fit and live inside that mould. And it also punishes and marginalises the people who, who live outside of that mould um, in order to live their authentic lives. Um, and yeah, I think you know, for trans people and anyone who doesn't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth, 
the constant onslaught of these gendered ideas in our daily lives can be deeply damaging. Um, you know, I don't think I need to read out the mental health stats. I think we all know them about, about um, the sorry state of um, mental health for, for trans youth and the really quite scary statistics around self-harm and suicide. Um, you know, but even for cis people, um, those of us who do identify with the gender we were assigned at birth, take a moment to consider what your life might be like if you hadn't spent that whole time steeped in these gendered ideas about how you're supposed to look and behave. Let's take the focus that the right wing likes to talk about. Let's, let's think about kids for a second. Kids today are facing an absolute onslaught of damaging ideas, and it's not what the anti-trans lobby wants to tell you being taught you know, gender in schools. It's actually that they're taught if you're a young woman, your body is a commodity to be sexualized against your will. Um, you should have the perfect body, don't be too big, don't be muscular, don't speak too loud, be bossy. Um, or or if, you're young, if you're a young man, you can't, you can't show emotion, you can't cry. Think about how much trans kids, you know, as well as cis kids, and everyone actually stands to benefit from a world that says nothing about your body um, or the way you talk or the way you present tells us if you're enough of a man or enough of a woman. That's, that's for you to tell us. So this brings me to an important point of difference in how Marxists analyse oppression. I talked before about how there's a bit of an emerging common sense that we have a shared fight between oppression of different groups. So cis women, trans, trans people, and so on. Um, for a lot of activists, this comes, I think, from a standpoint of intersectionality politics. So from saying that you know, you're fighting oppression, I'm fighting oppression, this oppression intersects and crosses over and intertwines, so let's unite together. Um, but Marxists say that it's not just that our oppression crosses over, it's that it's actually one and the same. The source is the same, capitalism and, and the institution of the family, and the ways it hits us are felt differently, but they're connected, um, the way that we experience the gender binary. Um, and most importantly, the thing that we're fighting for, um, which I think is the overthrow of the system and the withering away of these constraints, that, that benefits all of us. So. Um, I think the way I like to think of it is, you know, together we're not just digging out all these different weeds of gendered oppression that are growing all around this garden, but that we're actually all sort of digging out the roots of one big tree, which is the, you know, tree of capitalism. Um, so I think it's worth saying as well, we do understand it as a fight of the oppressed versus who benefits from that oppression. But, but many people talk about, you know, woman oppressed and man benefiting from that oppression trans person oppressed, cis person benefiting from that oppression, and so on. Um, it's, but Marxists say, no, it's actually the, all of us as the working class oppressed versus the ruling class, the small minority who hold the wealth and the systems of production who are benefiting from our exploitation, which the gender binary props up. So um, with the time I have left, which is... Yeah, we're good 12 minutes okay, sweet. Um, now, with the time I have left, I want to go back to... Um, this point that not everyone agrees with us, you know, um, and how do we change their ideas? I think Marxists have a unique perspective on this as well, which can help point the way forward for, for how to fight trans oppression and all sexist oppression. Um, not everyone agrees with trans rights, you know, whether it's those who don't believe that you should have a say about your gender at all, whether it's those who say it's all nonsense work ideology, or, you know, dedicate an absurd amount of time to focusing on what bathrooms people are allowed to use. <laughs> Um, or campaigning against gender ideas in schools. Um, and, and not everyone saying those things is our enemy. Some of them are the people we stand beside on a picket line, or the people that come to a refugee rally, or our families at the dinner table. Um, and 
That's because people absorb all kinds of sexist and transphobic ideas because we live in a class system and, as Marx says, the ruling ideas of society are the ideas of the ruling class that are handed down. Um, but this is not to play down the extreme harm, violence and, and, and more that's done in the name of those transphobic ideas and sexist ideas. As socialists, we often talk about you know, the sharp end of the stick, and I, I think it's this, the same stick of gender, of, um, gender binary ideology that's, that's harming all of us, but trans people are really sharp, suffering the, the most harm from it right now, and, and, and queer people in general. So Laura Miles writes in this book that, by their very presence, trans people stimulate a fundamental angst about the almost universal assumptions people continue to hold dear about gender and sex binaries about what we mean by being a man or woman or neither. But this doesn't mean that people are bound to be transphobic because of these assumptions. People aren't bound to be sexist because they're a man, they're not bound to be transphobic because they're cis, they're not bound to be racist because they're white. Um, they get those ideas handed down from the top of society. And the crucial, the crucial point about that is that ideas can change. Um, you know, when we rally, protest, campaign, unite in struggles for our rights, this process can drive a wedge in the ideas of the ruling class that can completely reshape the ideological landscape. Um, the changes we've seen in ideas around gay rights is a clear example of this. Um, the ruling class in Australia never simply you know, turned around and said, well, we'll back off gay people. After decades, you know, criminalising homosexuality, spread, spreading ideology that homosexuality was a disease, decades where the vast majority, unfortunately, of ordinary people absorbed these ideas and in, and in the name of those ideas ostracised their own family members um, and, and gay people were, were beaten and, and murdered at shamefully high rates, much higher than they are now. Um, this only began to change because we saw a mighty, mighty struggle over decades, you know, an international struggle. We had the Stonewall Riot in New York in 1969 that set off waves of LGBTI struggles all around the world. Right here in Sydney in 1973, we had union workers from the Builders Labourers' Federation walk off the job to protest homophobia. Um, we had the Mardi Gras of 1978 here in Sydney, where those brave activists marched and, you know, endured police violence. And we had the, the excellent campaigns for healthcare around the AIDS epidemic. All of these things won material conditions, material change for people. And in doing so, they also beat back the oppressive ideas of the ruling class to the point where now actually a significant portion of the population just doesn't buy into those homophobic ideas. Um, so all that is just to say that people's ideas can change and it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen through ideas alone. So it's in a fight for our, for our conditions, our material conditions, whether it's pay, healthcare, our right to safety, our kids' right to education. In these battles, we wrestle out these ideas, wrestle our rights from the groups of capitalism and the ruling class, and along the way, we also break the grip their ideology has on us, and, and then we start to shift the way we think. So I think it's worth saying as well that the process of winning those reforms isn't linear. We wrestle and you know, the ruling class wrestles, wrestles those ideas back. So right now they are waging a war on trans rights and LGBTIQ rights more broadly. And we may have beaten back homophobia in a significant section of society, but homophobic ideas are still thrown at us every day um, in, in all the messaging we see around us um, and those ideas about the nuclear family. So I think in many ways, yeah, the way that... Um, those homophobic ideas work these days is that they're really bound up with the binary gender roles and with the ideas that we've about the family that we've been talking about. More people are accepting of gay partnerships through the lens of a fairly traditional model of the family, but when it comes to a broader idea of queerness, of gender non-conformance, of not wanting to live in the nuclear family structure, 
many people aren't, aren't so convinced on that. Um, and Laura Miles describes that as well. She talks about how it's been you know, possible at times for gay rights campaigns and, and more to convince people that they can fit the mould of the straight family, but trans people um, you know, haven't, haven't been able to do this. And she says, trans and non-binary people find themselves on the margins of this accommodationist orthodoxy by virtue of the challenge they inherently represent to binary norms in capitalist societies. So I think, you know, in this sense, the fight for, for trans liberation is a very clear case for um, revolution over reform. Um, to actually win, to not, not just push back on these little parts of the system, but to actually win, we need to rip out the whole tree that is capitalism. Because, you know, refor these reforms, they win us rights, but overthrowing the system can actually win us, win us liberation. Um, I think there's plenty more to discuss about how we fight for that liberation. You know, as solidarity members, you know, we do this every day in the movements. I think there's excellent examples going on right now that we could talk about with the fight for gender affirmation leave led, but that's being led at universities by trans activists in their union, um, which I think is pa painting a powerful vision of how workers' rights and, and trans rights are actually intertwined. Um, and I think that's a vision that can, you know, win more and more cis people to the fight for trans liberation. I think it's also, you know, the work our students did under the, under the Morrison government, the, um, with many of them high school students, organising rallies of, of young women against the sexism of the system and against sexual assault in schools and the simplistic, dismal state of sex education. I hope we can, you know, talk about some of our experiences in these campaigns and others in the room who we work with in these campaigns um, because, you know, the point of all this theory is not to just talk about the gender binary in the abstract. It's to arm ourselves with Marxist theory to show us the way to fight back, you know, in the streets, at work, at, in school, every day. Um, but I just want to finish on this idea, which I think is the most exciting part about all this. You know, we've said that our constrained ideas about gender don't come, you know, just out of nowhere. They're determined by the material conditions of society and us interacting with those conditions. And we know that class struggle can produce seismic shifts in the way that people think. So what happens when we do pull up the tree? What happens, what does, generation, what does um, gender liberation look like? What human potential could be realised as we move away from you're this gender, you have to look this way and communicate that way or alter your body that way, um, love and care for people around you in only this little particular way, the ideology of the nuclear family which tells us that all our, our potential for love and care has limit and has to be put into this little box of these three people that you live with. Um, so I think, yeah, imagine the potential shifts in how we love, how we, how we see ourselves, how we inhabit our bodies um, when those walls start to break down. So it, it doesn't happen overnight, but as the system changes, these things have the potential to change too. And I think we can see this as a really beautiful open question of, of what the future of gender without capitalism even looks like, which I think is a future worth fighting for.